All right, you guys, we're going to continue our worship service this morning. And we're going to do that by diving into the Word of God. Um, for those of you who have not been with us, I'm going to fill you in on what's going on. Uh, first of all, my name's Matt, lead pastor here, along with my beautiful wife, Tanya. I can't believe that we get to do this together. And this is, by the way, just sharing with you, uh, kind of a celebration for us today. This is our two-year anniversary as your lead pastors. Isn't that awesome? Can you believe it's already been two years? It's unbelievable. And when we started as lead pastors, one of the things that God put on our hearts is that we needed to establish some values for Life Church. And actually, it wasn't as much established as it was discover what it is that God had for us to do. And so what Tanya and I did is we went away and we sat down and we prayed into this and we asked God to give us some insights into, into the values for Life Church. And then we took those values that we had put together and we submitted them to the eldership of the church. And we shared it with them. And then together as a team, we refocused um, them. We kind of put some, some terms underneath them, some thoughts underneath them. And we actually came up with eight values for Life Church. And about two years ago, we did a sermon series called Values. And we felt like what the Holy Spirit wanted us to do in this season was to revisit this series. So we're going to be doing that. Some of you haven't been through it before. Some of you have been through it before. Um, but the Bible tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. And so this morning, we're going to be um, going through our sermon series on the, on, this, on the topic of values. We're going to be, over the next eight Sundays, um, sharing a message about each one of our values to kind of help you to tie it back. I, I said this a few weeks back when I was talking about vision. A vision needs to be tied to a value. You know, for us to say, well, I'm going to go here. Why is that? It's because I value this. And you're going to hear us say that a lot. You know, we're going to talk about prayer. I'm going to say, hey, we value prayer. So therefore, we're going to have a prayer meeting. Um, you know, next week we have a, a worship, joint worship event. Well, we value being kingdom-minded. So for us, it's a value. And so that's why we're going to go and take part in, um, in, our, in, in the joint worship event. So today, we are going to be talking about the value, which is the number one value for us at Life Church, which is... Does anyone want to guess what the one number of values is? Is it already up there? No, it's not yet. Okay. Anybody want to guess what you think it might be? Prayer is good. Yeah. To Sinos. Go ahead, bud. Go ahead. Oh, it's the Word of God. Okay, there you go. He gave it away. Um, and what we're going to do different this year uh, in, in sharing this sermon series is I'm really excited about this. Every week we're going to have a different member of the church come up and share a brief testimony or thought on that value, about what's important about this value to them. And so this morning, for the Word of God, I am so excited to bring up one of our very own treasures in the church. And, huh? And that is Eric Penner. Can we give it up for Eric Penner? He's going to share with us briefly what does the value of the Word of God mean to you? to do it now, but I'm talking to my brothers and sisters, and I just want to encourage you because so many brothers and sisters in my life have encouraged me. Oh, okay, that's better. I thought my wife's was, voice was loud enough. Anyway, I got to go back a little bit, uh, a little bit of a testimony, not far, but I want to go back to 1970. We were raised in a Mennonite church, and in 1970, 
the Holy Spirit just somehow moved in our lives that we had never experienced before. We, we knew there must be something more than what the Mennonites were teaching. And the Mennonites were teaching, they were strong on evangelism, accepting the Lord. That was really good. But we were not taught of the Holy Spirit much. So we found in 1970 that the Lord drew us to Palm, I mean to California, and that was Bill Bright, Campus Crusade for Christ. And I had never been away from the Mennonite Church. That was my first experience with 300 from many places in the world. It was just so wonderful to, to sit for one, for one week and learn all about how to share the Word of God. And we went from door to door in Los Angeles, and it just established a hunger in us and they talked about that we needed the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us. We had not heard that so much before. But in a way, to make it short, we came home so excited, told others, and to Calgary, off we went with friends and came back the same, more excited. But then in 1971 and 72, we knew there was even more than just knowing about the Holy Spirit and sensing the Holy Spirit. There was a move of the Holy Spirit, and that was even more so. And we were then baptized in the Holy Spirit. We had never heard that before. And speaking in tongues, and there was just such a power, such a hunger for more. We were up to 2, 3 o'clock at night in the morning, we couldn't separate from our friends that had all experienced that. In a way, going faster forward. That brought us to White Rock Christian Fellowship, and we were there in 1973, and we learned much about the Word of God there, and we just expanded and blossomed. Many books were written, so then I really because I had already been teaching, I mean, had Bible studies at home in a Mennonite church and taught Sunday school and so on. So I was more hungry for the Word of God. And so I decided to really have more of a devotion each morning. But with business, I was so much interrupted. But then it, later on, and especially I retired early, and that was circumstances. But what the Lord taught me, what was so important, was to spend time with him. And so every morning at 6.30, I just longed to get up and get into the Word. And it led to finally that I was reading God's Word once through a year. For many years, I read from a Genesis to Revelation. And it just... Every time I read through it, why didn't I see this verse before? It just popped out, and it still does that. And I'm just so excited about that, and I want to share that with you because as I read through the Bible, I've learned the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament. And it just brought it all together, and I got to know Jesus so much better 
by reading the word all the time that I had not known before, even through the baptism of the Holy Spirit and through all that. But God revealed himself more. And as I've been doing that, I just want to share this, what it really did to me. I have more trust in God. I trusted his word. There was just such a trust that was building within me. And as we've heard this morning already, if God says it, I'll believe it. Okay? And so I want to encourage you, if you want to get to know Jesus, read the whole Bible, get to know him from the beginning to the end. And then I also had Hal Lindsey teach on the Revelation. Oh, was I excited about Revelation. Well, Revelation, that was the book that Jesus dictated to John on the island of Patmos. And so if Jesus dictated that through an angel, it must be important. So I read a book from David Jeremiah in the last times and years ago. And so more and more now, that is one of my favorite books. I just love Revelation. And more than anything, I love the God that brings it to an end in Revelation. And he wants us to know what we got to look forward to. And that is so important. So I want to encourage you. And I don't have more time. Thank you. Thank you so much. Oh, man, when I grow up, I want to be like him. Right? Wasn't that awesome? Oh, love you, Eric. Thank you so much. Thank you for sharing that, sharing from your life with us today. It's so valuable, such a treasure. Amen. Well, the Word of God. And when we started talking about values, this is the first value that came to our minds, is the Word of God. And we put a statement underneath that value, and the the statement was this, we build our lives on His Word. In fact, why don't we say that together, church? The Word of God, we build our lives on His Word. Amen? We build our lives on His Word. And here's the big idea today. In a world that has no greater standard of truth than the subjective self and personal experience, we rely on the Word of God as our firm and stable foundation. I'm going to read that again. In a world that has no greater standard of truth than the subjective self and personal experience, we rely on the Word of God as our firm and stable foundation. Church, I don't know if you realize this, but the society that we live in is drifting further and further and further away from the Word of God. And our foundations have been shifted. The foundations of our society has shifted. And I know one of the things about Eric Penner is that he's a builder. And one of the things that I think builders will tell you is, is what is the the most important part of a building? Yeah, the foundation. The foundation If you can build a solid foundation, then you can build a solid house. If you have a foundation that's out of sync, that is out by an inch or out by two inches in certain areas, that'll settle over time. And over time, you'll start to see even walls start to crack. And I've seen it before where it looks uh, horrible after time. If the foundation is not strong, if it's not firm, then the house that's built on it, how solid is that house? We're going to read two scriptures here that are going to be fundamental to our sermon today. Uh, The first one is 2 Timothy. 3, 16, and 17. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If you don't have your Bibles, you can write it down. If you don't have anything to write down with, you can just know this, and you can see it up here. 2 Timothy three sixteen, and this is what it says. 
All Scripture is given is inspired. Pardon me, given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Next, Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. And this is what it says. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord God, for your word this morning, God. We thank you that your word is living and active, and it's sharper than a two-edged sword. God, that it, it divides between the soul and the spirit and discerns to the intents of the heart. And Father God, we thank you this morning, Lord God. Your word is a firm foundation. It is a solid rock that we can stand on, Lord Jesus. And Father God, we pray today that your word would go deep into our hearts that it would plant good seeds, Lord God, that it would not return void, but it would accomplish what it is set out to do. God, use me as your vessel to communicate this message this morning, Lord God, that we would be inspired, Lord God, and Lord God, have a deeper understanding of the need for your word. We ask these things now in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Well, as I said earlier, church, we live in a society today that is drifting further and further away from the Word of God, from the truth of His Word, and the standard of Scripture. I told this story a while back, but um, we were camping one time, and uh, it was just post-COVID, and we were out um, at this campground, and there was this gentleman across the way, and, and so we were kind of, remember that post-COVID kind of nervousness about, like, meeting people, and you're kind of like, do we, do we, you know, do we mask, do we unmask, do we talk, do we not talk? Some of you have cleared that from your mind. Good for you, um, but some of us are still carrying a little bit of that. And, I, and so there was this guy across the way, and, and he was, you know, um, a friendly guy, and he kind of came over, and hey, mask, no mask. I'm like, yeah, no mask, we're good. And, and so we're talking, and, and, um, and he's this, this German fellow. And so we're talking about camping, and, and you know, obviously, inevitably, I'm, I'm sitting there, and I'm working on something on my computer on, on this uh, picnic table, and he's like, what are, you, what are you working on? And I'm like, well, actually, I'm working on a sermon. And he goes, oh, okay. And I said, yeah, actually, I'm a pastor. Wow, you're a pastor. That's amazing. And so he kind of starts, you know, sharing some things about his life, and he's this, you know, very successful businessman and has done very, very well. And um, he's telling me about his trailer. And then, you know, he's trying to relate to me. So he, he looks at me, and he kind of goes, you know, kids today really need to be taught value. I was like, oh, that's such a great point. I said, yes, absolutely. Kids need to be taught values. You are absolutely right. And I said, but, but the question is this. The question is, where do these values come from? And how do we know that we have the right values? And he thought, huh, I never thought about that before. And, and he says, I, I'm going to have to really think about that. And I continue to say to him, listen, because if you're saying the values, we need to teach kids values, where do those values come from? Do they come from you? Do they come from your feelings and your experiences? Or is there actually a standard of truth that we need to teach from? 
And I said to him, because I believe that the standard of truth that we need to teach from is the Bible. It is the Word of God. And for most part in society today, we live in, a, in an area, in a, in a time, where we have disassociated from any belief system that holds to a unified standard of values, and has instead, the society has embraced an ethic of kindness. They've disassociated from any belief system that holds to a unified standard of values and has embraced an ethic of kindness. Of course, one of the challenges to the Bible today is this idea that we are taught, which is that truth is relative. Truth is whatever you want it to be. I'll tell you one of the most disappointing things for me. Um, coming into uh, the world, I grew up in a very kind of um, structured, wonderful, excellent home. I was, um, I was raised as a pastor's kid. I went to a private school, and that was my experience. And I was, I was fairly sheltered. I hadn't had a lot of experience in the world. And one of the things that I was taught, or I read about in the Bible even, is that when I began to share my faith, I would likely be persecuted for it. And so I was teeing myself up for this, man. I remember going to Bible college. I remember coming back and like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to go all out for Christ. I don't care if I'm persecuted. They can put me down. It's all good. I'm going to stand up for righteousness. And I remember going up to my manager. I was working at a restaurant at the time, and I went to my manager and I was like, hey, I just want you to know that I'm a Christian. Whatever floats your boat, man. And then walked away. You see, in the world today, I think you're much more likely to run into apathy. People who maybe don't care. Whatever you want to do, man, whatever's good for you is good for you. If it's good for you, just do it. Just don't bug me with that. Right? I was disappointed. I was like, come on, where's the pushback? Am I supposed to be persecuted? I'm like, oh, I'm ready for a fight. It's like, whatever floats your boat, she walks away. This idea that the truth is relative is a challenge to the Word of God. Because we believe that in this book, the Bible tells us that all Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and instruction in righteousness, that we might be thoroughly equipped. We believe that the Bible is the Word of God, that it is inspired by God. And what we have in the world today in challenge to this is this idea that there's no such thing as absolute truth. The truth is whatever you want it to be. We've disassociated from that belief system. And now it's whatever is good for you. And there's this ethic of kindness. And when we talk about an ethic of kindness, what I'm talking about is these three things. Number one, in an ethic of kindness, there are no absolute truths. Nobody can tell you what's true. Nobody can say this is true, this is not true. There are no absolute truths. Number two, there is only what is kind to other people. And then number three, kindness is affirming other people's truths and lived experiences and ways of knowing, which in this world system is the highest truth. Letting others live in their perceived reality. So we live in a time today where um, my, my, my daughter was just telling me the other day that, I don't know if this, this, this is what she told me. She said that there's people in her class that have associated themselves as dogs. And so the teacher, I guess, um, got up and said, hey, um, you know, here, we're going to give out some homework. And, and the girl turned to the teacher and barked at her. 
there's this, this idea that whatever you believe is good for you. you. You can believe your own truth. Whatever you want to think is good for you. And this is this ethic of kindness. In the world around us, the highest authority is self. But we need to be aware that as human beings, we are prone to drift away from truth towards the prevailing thought and ethic of the world around us. Another critique of the scriptures is that this idea that we've evolved into new and better ways of thinking about everything. That the Bible is no longer relevant, right? Like we are definitely in the peak of, the pinnacle of humanity, the pinnacle of, of mankind. And, and so therefore, uh, we no longer need these archaic ideas and these old thoughts. And, and they no, are no longer relevant to us today. And this is an idea that is not new, by the way. This idea that the Bible is, is no longer relevant, this is not new. This is, this is an old thought, um, this is something that C.S. Lewis labeled as this idea of chronological snobbery. That because we're in a better place now in society, we don't need these old ideas or these old standards of truth. In Ecclesiastes 1.9, we're told that history merely repeats itself. It's all been done before. Nothing under the sun is truly new. And when these two modern ideas are able to influence us, then we begin to custom build our own versions of truth. And then it's whatever you feel, whatever's good for you, whatever floats your boat. I'm in charge. I choose my truth, and I build on that. You know what it's like? It's like building your house on sand. I mean, think about it. In the parable that we read earlier that Jesus shared about the two builders. There are two builders, and one builds on the rock, and then one builds on the sand. And when the rains come and the storms come, the one that built on the rock stands firm, but the one that's on the sand falls, and great was its fall. And when we think about this idea, why, why would that be? Why would we say that? Well, if you think about a rock, you think about a, a solid piece, right? But when you think about sand, what is sand? Sand is fragments of a rock, it's little pieces of it. If, if the rock is truth, then sand is fragments of the truth. And we need to know the truth. And church, I'm going to tell you right now, we believe that the truth is found in the Word of God. Amen? The rock in our sure foundation is His Word. From the Life Church Statement of Faith, we say this. We believe in the inspiration of the Bible. God's Word, comprised of 66 books of the Old and New Testaments, that is accurate, authoritative, and applicable to our everyday lives. Church, this wonderful book is 66 books written by 40 different authors over a period of time of about 1,600 years in, in about three different languages, yet it remains an integrated message system that points to Jesus. You see, when we think about this idea of the, the truth, the rock of the Word of God, the truth of the Word of God, this is not merely a handbook of morality. If you, if you look at the Bible and say, well, this is just telling me all the rules, the do's and don'ts, and when I figure that out, then I can live this out. But this is the thing I love about the Scriptures. It doesn't shy away from broken people. The scriptures don't hide its warts. There, there, there's people, the heroes of the Bible are human beings just like you and just like me. 
The stories that you read in the scriptures are there to point us to the fact that we are all sinners, that we have all fallen short of God's glory. And they're there to point us to the fact that we need a Savior and that his name is Jesus. You see, it's 66 individual books, but it's an integrated message that point us back to Christ. The focus of the Bible, by the way, is not us. The focus of the Bible is Jesus Christ. Amen? And here's what he says in John 5, 39. He says, you search the scriptures because they think you'll give, they're going to give you eternal life. But the scriptures point to me. And you know who the rock is? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. First uh, Corinthians 10, 4 says, And all of them drank the same spiritual water, for they drank from the spiritual rock that traveled with them, and that rock was Christ. In 1 Peter 2, 6, as the scriptures say, I am placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem, chosen for great honor, and anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. John 14, 6, Jesus told them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. When Jesus... Um, asked his disciples, he said, who, who do people say that I am? They all responded to him a different way. You know, some say that you're Elijah. Some say that you're a prophet. And then he said, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter speaks up. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says to him, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, uh, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father in heaven revealed this to you. And I tell you that you are the rock and on this rock, I will build my church. And what is the rock? The rock is the revelation of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. And that's what the Bible points out to us. That is the purpose of the Word of God. Amen? Amen. A couple of thoughts about principles of interpretation of Scriptures. One of the things that we believe is because everything in the Bible is inspired by God, then one of the, the statements that we have is that everything the Bible says about a subject is the truth of that subject. And what we believe with that is that society does not inform our views of the Bible, but the Bible has to inform us of our views of society. Right? We get this backwards so often. Like I said, we are prone to drifting away from the foundation of the Word. We are prone to drifting away from the truth and the rock of the revelation of Jesus Christ. And I just want to warn you, church, that that's what's happening right now in the world around us. That's what is trying to be taught to you. That's what's being taught to our children is that it's all relative. It's whatever you think, whatever you believe. It's disassociated from any specific text, any specific knowledge. But church, we believe that our foundation is the Bible. It is the Word of God. And we need to let the Word of God change our thinking. In Romans 2, 12.2, it says, Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know what God's will is for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. We must allow Scripture to teach us how to think straight because we ourselves don't. We think bent. We think crooked. This is from uh, scholar, biblical scholar N.T. Wright. And this is both natural and supernatural. We're going to talk about how to do this in just a moment. In John 16... 13 and 14, it says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. 
He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard, and he will tell you about the future, and he will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. The key to understanding and applying Scripture is to have a vibrant relationship with Jesus. I, I love that about the Bible. Have you ever found a contradiction in the Word of God? I have. Um, I'm trying to think of one right now. Uh, there's one where it says, um, therefore work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Does anybody know this one? And then it goes on to say, for it's God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So you've got this one that says, you know, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, but it's God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. And again, this principle of interpretation is that everything the Bible says about a subject is the truth of that subject. So obviously the truth has to be not only this, but also this, and it's somewhere in the middle. And whenever you find a con apparent contradiction in Scripture, get excited because that's the Holy Spirit drawing you in to study and to learn and to grow. And that's a reminder to us that we need Jesus. Just as it says in the Bible that he leads us into all truth, we need the Spirit of God when we read the Word of God. Amen, church? And here's the other thing. We need to encourage each other to study the Scriptures daily. Acts 17, 11, And the people of Berea were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica, and they listened eagerly to Paul's message. They searched the Scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas, what they were teaching, if it was true. Because we value the Word, Life Church, take what I say on a Sunday morning and go study it for yourself. I, you know, jokingly say to you, don't believe a word that I say. And that's not what I mean. What I mean is, don't just take it at face value. But I encourage you, church, let's not be a church that checks our brain at the door. Let's be a church that studies the scriptures for ourselves. Amen? Let us be a people of his word. N.T. Wright says this, That is why within my tradition, the reading of scriptures is not merely ancillary to the worship, something to prepare for the sermon, but it is actually itself part of the rhythm of worship itself. In reading the Bible, the story of God, the church is praising God for his mighty acts and is celebrating them and is celebrating the fact that she is a part of a continuing story. I love the Bible. Let the Bible become, and Bible reading, become a rhythm of your worship. Are you with me? Okay. So we've just given you a whole pile of information. I'm going to go back and read the first part again just so we can refocus ourselves. The big idea today is that in a world with no greater standard of truth than the subjective self and personal experience, we rely on the Word of God as our firm and stable foundation. Amen? Amen. Okay, so what do we do practically with that? How do we take this home? What are some action steps that you can take today out of all the things I've just shared with you? What are some things that you can do? I've got five things, and you, it, to help you remember, you can actually hold up your hand. Everybody hold up your hand for just a moment, okay? And, and we're going to do this together. Okay, number one, you put up your thumb. Thumbs up. Number one, read it. Everybody say read it. Okay, you can put your thumb down now. Sorry. 1 Timothy 4.13. Until I get there, focus on reading the scriptures to the church, encouraging the believers, and teaching them. You can read the Bible, and I encourage you to do that. I loved hearing Eric's testimony this morning that he got up at 6.30 each morning and read the Word of God. What a wonderful way to start your day to set your mind on things above. And, and nowadays, church, there's so many great ways that you can do that. 
Um, you know, there, there's apps. Does anybody use an app to read their Bible? Yeah, there's the YouVersion app is one that I would highly recommend. It has some incredible Bible reading plans on it. Every day it highlights a new scripture, and there's actually a, a, a devotional that they'll walk you through in a prayer time. And, and I actually, one year, I read through the Bible on my app, and, and then actually I got convicted about it because every morning my kids would come downstairs and they'd see their dad on his phone. And I was like, okay, I'm going to shift this. And so I actually ended up putting my phone down and picking up a, a physical Bible. But, but if you don't have you know, kids that you're trying to set an example for, you can read it on your Bible. Um, you can read it on your app, and it's a great way to read it. It's a habit that I would recommend that you have. Number two, everybody say two. Memorize it. Everybody say memorize it. Get the word of God inside of you. Psalm 119.11 says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Come on. One of my goals for life is that people, when they come up to me and they poke me, the word of God would come out. Right? I want to have the word overflowing in my heart. I want it to be my first response. I want the word of God to be coming back to my memory. Come on, the Bible says you've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Oh God, let my heart be set towards you that I may fear your name, God. Let my mind be filled with the word of God. Memorize it. Okay, number three. Everybody say number three. Meditate on it. Somebody say meditate. Well, that's a tricky word in the church, isn't it? Meditate. But this is the Bible. Joshua 1.8. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so that you will be sure to obey every word written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all that you do. And here's what we mean by meditate. Simply think on it. The, the term that I've heard often is, um, or, or the picture, is this picture of a, of a cow that chews its cud. And apparently what they'll do is they'll take the, the grass in their mouth and they'll kind of swallow it and then they'll regurgitate it and chew on it some more. And then, this is gross. And then they'll swallow it and then they'll do it again. And they'll keep on chewing on this over and over throughout the day. And man, if you're going to be thinking about something throughout the day, if your mind's going to be set on something and you're going to be, you know, your mind just starts moving over and over again, let it be the word of God. Let it be the greater truth. Think on it. Talk on it. You know, Get a scripture in your mind that morning and, and let your mind work it through. Come on, your word I've hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. I'm thinking of um, Psalm chapter 1. Um, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. What does it say about him? He'll be like a tree planted by rivers of water. His fruit will not wither, and he will prosper in everything that he does. Amen? Amen. So meditate on it. And then number four, sing it. Somebody say it. Come on, sing it. This is a wonderful way to memorize. This is a way to get the scriptures through in your heart. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourself and make music in, to the Lord in your hearts. Some of you, it's probably better if you do this in your hearts. I'm just, I'm loving you. I'm just telling you honestly. And some of you, when you're in your car, in your shower, just give it. Just Sing to one another, sing to one another, songs, hymns, and spiritual songs. What's a good, like, seek ye first the kingdom of God? Remember that one? Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I'm just having a little singing party up here, just singing the scriptures. Come on, sing it out, sing it out. And then number five, speak it. Somebody say, speak it. 
Proverbs 18.21, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat of its fruit. There is a power that happens when you read the Word of God out loud. In fact, if I were to give you some homework today, and I hate to use the term homework because some of you young guys are shuddering right now, but if I was to give you some homework this week, it would be when you sit down to read your Bible this week, try to read at least a half a chapter out loud. And just see what that does. There is power in your words. You can speak things into existence. And come on, church, we want to have not our words in our mouth. We want the Word of God to be flowing through our mouths. Amen? Amen. So what can you do? You can read it. Somebody say read it. You can memorize it. You can meditate on it. You can sing it. And you can speak it. Amen. So here's my idea. In a world that has no greater standard of truth than the subjective self and personal experience, we rely on the Word of God as our firm and stable foundation. Church, our value is the Word of God, and we build our lives on His Word. Amen? Amen. It's a nice, direct, clear, hopefully, word for you today to take home. Why don't we pray as we close today, and then we will release you. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning once again for your word, Lord God. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for your living and active word that is alive in us today, Lord Jesus. Father God, we pray, Lord God, that you would give us a hunger, oh Jesus, and a thirst for your word. We pray that we would fall in love with it, Lord Jesus. God, that you would cause us, Lord Jesus, to desire it more than good food. God, you would cause us to desire it, Lord Jesus, more than anything around us, Lord God. Lord God, that we would recognize, Lord Jesus, your word, Lord Jesus. Father, we pray, Lord God, that you would, um, Lord Jesus, just stir it up in our hearts, a fresh appreciation and hunger. Give us the grace that we need, Lord God, to desire you in this way, Lord God. And we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's foundational. We thank you that we can build our lives on it, Lord Jesus, and we can trust you from your word, Lord God. In Jesus' mighty name, and everyone said, amen.